Welcome to Improsophy, where we bring living room discussions to your daily life. This week, we are currently discussing the book Ion by Carl Jung. We will be primarily talking about his ideas on the ego and the shadow, as well as a brief introduction on who the man was. Enjoy! Jordan, here we are. Yes, here we are. Hopefully we can be heard. Yeah, we will be. There we are. Um, so we're reading a new book, Ion by Carl Jung. Very, I don't know. This this book is so far just blowing my mind. And what I'm more surprised about is that I'm actually understanding what's being said. Because, I don't know, my brain can understand these things somehow. Yeah, let's. That, that's a good teaser. Um, yeah, let's just start with who is Carl Jung. Yeah, well, from what I know, he's a Swiss psychologist in the um, early twenty, early twentieth to, to mid twentieth century. Uh, yeah, I know. Fun fact: he had two mistresses. Not not joking. I read in a book called Introducing Jung. Very, it was a good book giving a very broad overview of who he was but he had a very interesting mind so it's almost like he was able to compartmentalize his spiritual mind and his uh, psychology where he was able to interact with people very well where he would have this kind of mental epiphany in one day and then right in the next moment able to interact with people in his um day-to-day life yeah so Jung, he was a you're right early 20th century to mid 20th century psychologist he worked with freud for a while and he parted ways with freud's theories kind of early in his career Mm -hmm. uh his his big idea was archetypes that we have these RK meaning old type being type. Like we, we have these mm. old types of, of thinking in our minds, basically. And that they're, they're universal across the human condition. Um, Jung, yeah, he studied a lot of symbols. He studied a lot of uh, personality types. He's where you get the terms introvert and extrovert. He was the first one to, to think that someone's personality interacts with the environment differently whether i think he said like for the extrovert the psychic energy flows out of the person through the environment and back to him into the introvert Mm -hmm. it flows from the environment through them uh i don't (laughs) i think that's kind of a wacky way of of phrasing it um that anyway he he created introvert and extrovert and myers-briggs is eventually based on him what else uh he kind of had a architecture of the soul yeah explain that to me because i'm not quite sure what you mean by that yeah so some people they get into philosophical conversations and they their their ideas of the soul kind of just end at the mind body problem like oh mind and body it's weird i don't feel like matter being a conscious person but i got this whole body deal right Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the depth of a lot of people's 
um, philosophical understanding. Now, there's another group of people that have actually tried to take like the soul and partition it into pieces. For Aristotle, he thought there was the vegetative soul, the part of the soul that is just growing and becoming and nourishing. And then there's the animal soul, which is responsible for emotions. And then there's the human soul, which is, is rational. So there, there are people that actually attempt to articulate the structure of what the soul is. Uh, for Jung, the psyche is, is the word for the soul. When he talks about psychoanalysis, psychotherapy, he actually sees it as a soulish element. Um, this also brings us to the idea that Jung is a mystic. Mm -hmm. Later in his career, people asked him, do you believe in God? Because he didn't really fit into the categories of the day. And his response was, I know God. And Jung, he's kind of a weird guy. Like when he retired, his retirement was literally just building a castle mm -hmm. because that's what he always wanted. Um, I did not know that. Continue. Yeah, he, he's a weirdo. <laughs> Um, I like him already. Well, I mean, I've already liked him, but the way you're describing him, I like him even more. Oh, yeah, and the the main, this is the last thing. I want to know more about that castle. I'll have to look <laughs> that up later. Yeah. Yeah, it was like some weird, I think it's like British 60s documentary, and Jung was talking in like a weird Swiss accent and trying to do English. Um, what else? Jung... Yeah, he also traveled cultures a lot. He would look at a people group and try to understand their mythology. So he's very widely read across cultures. I, I think he was pretty early and not just taking a European-centric view of the world. He really cared about all peoples, tribes, tongues, etc. The, the last main thing about Jung is this distinction between the conscious and unconscious mind. Uh, would you want to take a, a stab at how that's kind of understood? Yeah. For the conscious mind is, uh, it's kind of obvious what you're conscious of your own thoughts. Then there's also the uh, underlying uh, part of yourself where you have thoughts going on in the background of your mind that you are not fully aware of. So let's say, uh, you're going throughout your day and then all of a sudden you think of a certain thought and you're like, where did that come from? It's kind of like that. You have underlying um, things going on within your mind that you're not even fully aware of. Now, in regards to where the con the subconscious or the unconscious part of the self can manifest itself, sometimes in dreams. And I'm kind of drawing a blank on that. Can you help me understand how that can manifest itself in dreams, Corey? Yeah, I guess dreams can tell you a lot about your motivation, your motivations about the world. Uh, it also can just spontaneously create narrative, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think it can kind of tell you stuff about yourself that you aren't directly trying to manifest or create. Mm. I remember having... This is just side tangent. Remember years ago having dreams about tornadoes and I was having parts of my soul, so to speak, being destroyed. Then some years later, I was also having a dream of tornadoes, 
but water was involved. So I would say because of that, um, the water, this time the tornadoes represented probably destruction of whatever was destroying my soul with the water because the water can represent renewal and hydration if you're parched for your soul. I'm trying to think of how to get into the conscious and unconscious. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's like this threshold of awareness. Things can happen underneath of it. Underneath of it, man. <laughs> uh, so many layers. Yeah, think of, here's a wacky example. Um, I remember in English class, we we're talking about Shakespeare, and the whole thing is iambic pentameter. So it's two beats, five of those double beats per line. And they always told you that it was the two beats is the same as like the heartbeat or the step. So when you're running fast, your heart's beating fast, um, it kind of speeds up. And the way I heard my English teacher read the Shakespeare was that it, it kind of sped up when she was reciting more dramatic parts of it. And, mm -hmm. and part of it just like struck me and in, in like a certain depth where I wasn't really like aware of the like two beat heartbeat thing, but mm -hmm. it was still like under the surface. Um, so yeah, Jung thought that Jung thought that beneath the surface, like the threshold of being aware, uh, there's kind of a bunch of associations that happen, like things are linked together in certain ways. And these associations under, under the surface can kind of, what's the word, like calcify into little clusters and they mm -hmm. can become, uh, for Freud, he called them like complexes, um, for Jung, he preferred the term archetype, mm -hmm. that the associations actually cluster into little balls of associations. And he actually went a step further. It's not, it's not just that we think associatively, and it's not just that these associations ball up. It's also that these associations gain some amount of autonomy under our level of, of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So you could be doing something and maybe act in a way that you're not used to and that's actually like a force subsurface that's trying to tell you something or, mm -hmm. or making you behave in these weird ways so yeah his view of the unconscious it, it wasn't just you know primitive drives like uh, Freud he'd say oh the unconscious mind is always seeking reproduction mm -hmm. uh his view that it was a, it was a lot more linked into myth and personal narrative. So getting into this chapter, that yeah. is a lot of background on Carl Jung. Oh yeah, we're reading Ion by him, which is Volume Nine, <laughs> Part Two. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, works. we're starting right in the middle of all of his works here, everybody. Good old Volume Nine and a half. That's, yes. <laughs> like the um harry potter train it's yeah yeah you, you start from book five of harry potter or something to try to understand the grandiose lore of whatever the heck it is 
Oh, I was thinking of like the fractional train station, but oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, my brain yeah. was. Yeah, my, I was thinking. Oh, we're just starting in the middle of a trilogy, or we're starting in the middle of a eight part book series. It's kind of like that. That's fair. But, but oh well. It, it, I feel like with what I was reading, I was surprised. I felt surprised that I was able to understand what he was saying. So he starts his like architecture of the soul with the ego, and then the shadow. Mm-hmm. And these are the two um, we'll be discussing. Yeah. Uh, oh, I wasn't sure if you had more to say. So my first thing is the three three types of ego that consist in the mind. Let me see here. Page four. I wrote down some notes here for it. If I can get it. Yeah, page four, paragraph four. So I'll go ahead and read the paragraph. A somatic basis, the ego consists then of conscious and unconscious factors. The same is true of the psychic basis. On the one hand, the ego rests on the total field of consciousness, and on the other, on the sum total of unconscious contents. These fall into three groups. First, temporarily subliminal contents that can be reproduced voluntarily or memory. Second, unconscious contents that cannot be reproduced voluntarily. Third, contents that are not capable of becoming conscious at all. Group two can be inferred from the spontaneous interruption of subliminal contents into consciousness. Group three is hypothetical It is a logical inference from the facts underlying group two. It contains contents which have not yet interrupted into consciousness or which never will. So with that extensive reading out of the way. Lovely. And yes, that was me putting the book down. The three types of ego that consist in the mind. How often are we aware of things within our own mind that affect us on a daily basis? Did I say, yeah, unaware. Can you grab me? What's that page again? Uh, page four, paragraph four. By the way, I took um, I took four pages of notes on, on five pages of Jung. So, <laughs> See, um, you, you're more the note taker than I am. Yeah, so, let, yeah, let's, maybe we need to step back and define what the ego is. Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a good point. <laughs> the ego is, he calls it the center, center of the field of consciousness. Um, so it's like the center of the conscious mind. It's not all the conscious mind, mm-hmm. uh, but it's like the center of it. It, it maybe is the part that, um, like makes the, dis- makes decisions as much as the conscious mind does make decisions. Uh, he also views the ego as something that can expand, shrink or change shape over time that it's, like developmental. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ego is uses the phrase always limited by the unknown, which which makes sense if it's the center of consciousness, it it can't know the unknown. Um, and Jung's view is that the ego is it's not the whole of the personality, mm-hmm. uh, just what you can articulate about yourself and the group identity you can attach to yourself. Uh, and the tribes you associate with yourself, that's 
that's not the whole of your personality. It's beyond what's articulatable. Hmm. Yeah, I'm. I actually here's a question in relation to it. How does this compare with um, Freud's view of the ego? Because I know you're you're a bit more well versed with this. Yeah, Freud's view is that there is a super ego. This is like your ideals of like being perfect, spotless, whatever. And then he thought you had like this id, which is kind of this depraved, um, grotesque, just thing that wants its own desires. And uh, Freud's view is that the the ego is kind of a compromise between the id and the superego. So repeat that one more time. Yeah, the ego is like a compromise between the uh, id and the superego. Okay. We kind of want like dark and gritty things, but because we're around people, we kind of create the super ego of how we should treat people, and then we kind of fall somewhere in the the middle of mm-hmm. of fulfilling our desires partially, but um, also not becoming antisocial people. Yeah, yeah. I think I kind of like a, um, Jung's view better because he seems to have a more realistic understanding of human psychology human because from what i understand of him human beings aren't even if you take it from a purely naturalistic understanding human beings aren't purely naturalistic in their mind there are people there are a lot of people who understand things from a spiritual perspective even if you're not a spiritualist yourself does that make sense or is there a bit more to it than that i think i agree Mm mm-hmm so, yeah, that passage you read, he says that there's two bases is to the ego, um, you know, essentially your own sense of identity and uh, the decision making uh, part of your conscious mind. And he says these two bases are somatic and psychic. Mm-hmm. Um, somatic has to do with the senses. Like I was talking about iambic pentameter earlier. That's yeah. That's kind of a physiological thing that happens in the unconscious mind. Like you might not even know. You might realize your heart's beating fast. You didn't even know. But I guess I was scared, sure. But I, I kind of figured it out through my body. Sometimes you get that weird reversal mm-hmm. um, of your unconscious mind knowing something and you don't. Like, yeah. Oh, this parking garage must be very scary because I don't know why I'm sweating. <laughs> uh, so there's a somatic, um, and this this is like a basis to the ego. So this is, um, how do I word this? Hmm. I guess this is kind of how the ego gets paths through the unconscious that the ego gets information. You can become consciously aware through through the senses. Um, and the other one was psychic. And he defines psychic as a will which modifies reflex or instinctual process. Yeah. Hmm. So it's it's not just that you're you're sensing things that you're not aware of that the phenomenon that you take in also gets modified by something under the surface. And that's when you get to the associations and archetypes that, 
things are being filtered through the senses and up to your conscious mind, but along the path, they, they get kind of modified and changed mm -hmm. a little bit. So it's like taking something in and trying to make sense of it kind of thing, would you say? I, I think it does have to do with sensory processing to some degree. Cause I'm like, you have like seven trillion nerve endings in your body mm -hmm. and you're not going to say, Oh, I know this happened because nerve ending 5,672,000 was tingled. Like mm. you, you can't even be aware of all that stuff. So there has to be some amount of processing that happens between, and we're just talking about the somatic basis, but there has to be some level of abstraction that occurs between the nerve ending and the brain. Like it has to be somehow transformed into a, a meaningful signal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I, I know what you, I do know what you mean by this. My, my thought, at least in terms of how I'm taking this in now, is I don't really think so much things in terms of sense, but more of in terms of how I think things and process them. So I'm wondering things that might be, that we still might not be aware of, that we should be aware of, I guess is a good way of putting it. Or how often, going back to the question, how often are we unaware of the things in our own mind that affect us on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. So I guess, what are some things that that do affect us that we might not be aware of? So I guess what you were mentioning about the garage being a um, scary place, we may not realize it in that moment. And then we realize, wait, this is not a safe place. I need to get out of here. I need to get to my car real quick or at least there's that sense of it now is it actually an unsafe place i mean it can depend do certain patterns emerge that might tell you this is not a safe place um i guess i i think this might be the misuse of it but is this a certain type of archetype that says this is an archetype of danger am i using that properly I, like I think there is an archetype of the ancient enemy. I, I think as far as a creepy parking garage example, um, or not just parking garage, but any anywhere in general that might seem unsafe. Yeah, I think archetype is when it's, um, hmm. I I kind of want to go to this from a different angle. Like yeah, that's you fine. you would think that the unconscious mind is bigger than the conscious mind. So you're taking in a lot more information and you might not have something articulated to the conscious level, but sometimes you know things in your gut um, for whatever reason. So Jung would say, trust that feeling of being creeped out because your body's taking in all sorts of information that you know, it, it can't quite piece it together yet. Mm -hmm. um, but you should just trust your intuition on it. Yeah. I know I've, when I was in the military, although I never experienced anything bad, did not experience a combat situation. When I was going through combat uh, 
classes when I was with the unit that I was with, seeing all the different um, IED explosions, so improvised explosive devices that were created, whatnot, you see people blow up and whatnot. The instructor said, trust your instinct, because if something doesn't seem right, that can sit, if you trust your instinct, that is something that could possibly save your life. Mm. So I suppose it can be, I'll let you try to explain it, because you seem to know a little bit more about this than I do. Yeah, I don't, hmm. Yeah, that's like a super good example. Um, hmm. If if you're not too aware of it, we can move on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess I I kind of want to talk about archetype for a moment. Um, my understanding of archetype is, I I guess this is kind of going back against what I was trying to mention a moment ago about an archetype of this situation. I think actually archetype might be more of a person rather than a place. So the thing that you uh, either embody or inhabit or that thing inhabits you and that becomes your archetype. Now that could be going into, we'll, we'll go into it a little bit later, the shadow of what can possibly take over. But I suppose an archetype could be the very thing that you're putting on. But that's that sounds more like a persona. I think archetype... Mind you, I'm kind of, I'm trying to connect the dots here. I promise. Yeah. Um, I think archetype is something that represents a thing. So the archetype of the mother or the archetype of the father, the archetype of the beast, the archetype of the savior, the archetype of, mm-hmm. of um, the companion pet, so to speak. Yeah. And, and archetypes, like they are on a narrative time scale. Like the being in a garage and being freaked out, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think that's like necessarily the archetype, um, yeah. Because that's just like an immediate response. I think archetypes are conflicts that kind of go on within your mind over like weeks and months of kind kind of finding resolution with yourself. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That. That's a better way of putting it. So ignore what I said about the garage, trying to be an archetype of something. <laughs> uh, but like archetypes, they have some amount of, they're like cartoon characters, A. Yeah. Um, and then B, they have some amount of autonomy about mm-hmm. how you perceive the world. Yeah. Reminds me, I haven't watched much of it, but the anime JoJo's Bizarre Adventure with stands. Oh <laughs> I've only gotten up to season three halfway through it but you have these things that these creatures that come out of a person so to speak they fight each other so it's basically either an archetype or persona of a person is fighting against the other archetype or persona of a person but that's just that's neither here or there right now (laughs) i was just trying to give an example Yeah, so maybe I'll say this more succinctly. So the ego, it's kind of like the executive office of the brain. You can think mm-hmm. of it like that, like the president's desk, and ideas come to it, and then a decision's made. Um, 
although who writes the proposals that's there's some amount of change in there um but yeah jung's idea of the the phenomenology of of how you experience phenomenon is that it it starts at an unconscious level and it kind of filters through the unconscious mind from starting from your senses and then going through the unconscious uh and then it passes through like the threshold of consciousness and then it goes to the ego which is like the center of consciousness and then a person makes a decision mm-hmm. uh you can think of it almost like do you know like those rain sticks you it's like yeah. a tube it has pegs in it different ways and it has rice and you turn it upside down yeah i know i know what you're talking about so jung's view is it's kind of like you have these um you know sensory inputs and then so the rice is kind of like uh maybe just like the flow of of experience or the phenomenon through you mm-hmm. and you know the tube is kind of your somatic um routing that it's it's literally from your senses so from your seven trillion nerve endings up to a level of abstraction that you can make a decision mm-hmm. and then the pegs in the rain stick they're kind of like your associations uh or just kind of psychic modifiers to the path of information mm-hmm. so you don't just take an info through senses like a computer like his thought is that um like phenomenon they kind of bounce through you and ricochet off things and echo through you mm-hmm. that you, you don't just logically like um get feedback it's it's abstracted and this rice going through the rain stick it's it's going through the unconscious mind and bouncing off all sorts of associations you made all sorts of muscle memory all sorts of uh archetypes all sorts of um deep ingrained human symbologies of what things mean uh And and this also comes to another level of abstraction where, like, you, you can make a diagram. I pick up a ball. It goes through the senses. It goes through my mm-hmm. sensory cortex and my motor cortex. Me picking it up goes through my visual cortex, me seeing it. And that's a pretty disinteresting example. For Jung, he would think the more interesting examples is social interactions that's when it really starts to go through a lot more of the archetypes and deep-seated associations we have. Uh, so, yeah, he's not just viewing senses as a, a textbook, black and white, um, what's your reaction time, or, or stuff like that. He, he sees the senses also encompassing very abstract social interactions, and that filtering through the unconscious and and bumping and echoing and bellowing around and then coming to the conscious mind. Hmm. Uh, I, hmm, I guess I can be lead up to my next question. Why do we not always know what causes our actions? Yeah, I think that's, that's the thing when we sense so there's the somatic basis and the psychic basis. The somatic is just your senses mm-hmm. and the psychic is all that 
bouncing around. Uh, I think it's like we don't we don't even know we don't know why things ring chords in us when when we experience things. Some sometimes it rings a a resonant chord or a dissonant chord or uh, um, or Jung would say that there's like an archetype in the unconscious that has some amount of autonomy that's kind of warping the way we see the world as well mm-hmm. that it's it's having its share of modifying what we consciously perceive mm-hmm. so yeah it's, it's a complicated answer but it, it's really like it going through the abstraction phase it it bounces around and and does a lot of things that we're we can't know yeah so i guess it's like taking in information but not knowing what to do with it would you say at least sometimes um because yeah. that's what it kind of sounds like to me anyways i don't know if it's like an information thing like i don't know if it's a memory problem right i think it's more of like a resonance problem like you hit a wine glass with a with a little mallet and it, it rings at a certain um frequency it's it's like when we experience certain things it it has this like resonance response or something mm-hmm. I, I think if you were to say let's just remove the somatic basis of the ego okay you're you're just a brain in a <laughs> in a vat of something and you have no senses to the world and i yeah i don't think Jung would really view that as living if it's a a brain on a stick or a brain in a vat Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jung's view is that the brain's very coupled to the body and to take away either of these, you're, you're removing the dynamic part of the human experience, the, the dialogue with reality. Um, so I like to say if your brain's in a, if a, if your brain's in a vat, like, do you have archetypes? Mm-hmm. I, I think to him, that's kind of a disinteresting question because it doesn't actually connect a narrative. Like if your brain's in a vat, then you're good as dead would be the Mm -hmm. um, other way of thinking about it. Yeah. I think, I guess part of it is now bringing it down to a more practical level. I think there are times in our lives where we're just not always uh, aware of things. Some things are just not oblivious to us. And there are times in life when others around us will notice certain things about us that are not, that we ourselves are not fully aware of. Mm. Yeah. So my question to connect with everything that you're saying is how can we be more aware of our own actions that might cause hindrance to either ourselves or others? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah. And Jung's thought is that, Like, although a lot of things happens in the unconscious mind that sometimes it breaks through, like um, having a fantasy or a dream or, or a vision, mm-hmm. that this weird unconscious material becomes like manifested and you don't really know what it means. And he would think it has a lot that it could tell you about yourself. 
um, yeah, you definitely can learn about yourself through others. I think that's a little limited as far as what you can internalize. Um, and this will get into the shadow later, but he also mm -hmm. has this idea of projection that uh, the human mind is capable of a lot of positive feedback loops and you can get into places where you only see what you're looking for mm -hmm. and you're kind of blind to what what the reality is yeah yeah i suppose i i think that when taking in a lot of that information might be an overload so i wonder if it's like you were mentioning trying to process a narrative through certain signs and symbols in order to better understand what we're going through. So let's say somebody going back to my soldier, going back to the whole soldier thing, um, a former soldier relating things in military terms or a psychologist relating things in psychological terms mm. or somebody who's whatever religion they might be relating it to themselves and or others in certain religious terms. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if integrating that into themselves is trying to make sense of the world around them. Does that make sense? Yeah, on, on the religion side, Jung's, Jung's view that is that religion is a system of symbols that helps you navigate the world. Mm -hmm. that's, his, that's his view, that it's like a complete set of of the symbols um that could um it's, it's like a full dictionary of symbols that mm -hmm. can help you navigate what's going on uh so yeah as far as having a same emotional response but it taking on a different famili familiar form for you i i think you're right on as far as that yeah i'm trying to keep up with the conversation because you you seem like you know, you're a bit more familiar with Jung than i am <laughs> and I, I'm I'm saying that just to be honest, because in my this is my own personal thing to be to try to um, have a more integrated personality. I try to be as honest with people as possible. Mm. So, although I did understand what I was reading in terms of Jung, you seem to know more background information on Jung and his thoughts. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to be able to keep up in terms of what you're saying. Does that make sense? Cause, yeah. Because it's good that you're you're a lot more familiar with this than I am. Yeah, there's a lot of blanks to fill in starting on volume nine, part two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only some. I'm only. I only have maybe a, a small amount of understanding of Jung, but that's not to say that I can't at least understand what he's writing. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I find it actually a good guide on what's going on in your unconscious here and then what comes forth to the conscious level of understanding. Um, I suppose, here's an interesting thought. Can a, the persona that we put on, how is it that we can make it into a positive persona rather than a, a negative persona? Yeah, I, th I think that it has to be authentic. Mm -hmm. You can't be putting on fronts or putting on airs. 
And I think there is a time in childhood development where kids actually try on different roles. It's part of like role development. So a kid, I don't know, he, he gets that, do you know that like fake lawnmower that has little um, yeah. balls that bounce up when you roll the wheels? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So like the kid's like trying being dad for a day or something and has this fake lawnmower. Uh, I think there is a part of play that requires putting on roles. Hey, let's play house, says the little girl. Mm-hmm. You'll be mom in the kitchen and I'll be waiting on the couch asking <laughs> for an omelet. Uh, yes, so Jung's okay with personas being like compen- like compensating a situation. I think his issue with role playing is when Persona just means mask, so it's like glued to your face that you can't mm-hmm. um, dissociate your identity from uh, the airs you're putting on, or or from like the caricature you're trying to be. Okay. Um, should we get to shadow pretty soon? Yeah, I, I think one one question is here. I, I do want to touch on as a practical means is. Um, well, I'll read out the whole question that I do have. How can we listen to others in regards to our unconscious actions so that we may be a more integrated person? So I guess a better way of being more concise is how can we be a more integrated person? And I think you answered it was authenticity. So now I do want to mention this in regards to authenticity. There's a point where authenticity where you're trying to say, oh, I'm just trying to be my true authentic self. Are you, or are you letting your shadow take over? Cause you, oh, do you, do you mean like the postmodernist artist that yeah. their art exhibit is like turning a light switch on and off? Yeah. And oh like, yeah. I saw that. I thought that was hilarious. I was like, what? What's the other one? They like took a urinal and put it sideways and signed it. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's no, it's like, I'm being very authentic. This is avant-garde. And it's, it's a point like your art has nothing to say about the human condition. Yeah. You're not expanding the boundary at all. You're, you're trying to be incoherent and good job you are, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that, that I would agree that that would be a, a garbage version of authenticity where, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I'd say as well as be honest now there's a difference between uh, being an absolute jerk when you're saying, I'm just being honest versus being honest in trying to being helpful. Mm. Um, I don't know how else to put it because I don't want to spend too much time on it. We could talk more about it, but we can move on to the shadow here. The, the good stuff, even though all this stuff I'm sure was pretty good. Yeah. I think I'll start off with a question here. Um, For the shadow, how can we see it in ourselves so that it does not control us? Uh, Yeah, let me start with the definition. The shadow is the Mm -hmm. parts of the personality that the ego, or um, which is the center of the conscious mind, rejects. Uh. Think of like a Jekyll and Hyde situation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Dr. Jekyll, oh, esteemed um, chemist, and then Mr. Hyde is kind of this like depraved and murderous. Mm-hmm. Anytime you see like a duality in popular media, I think there was even a Rick and Morty oh, yeah. show about like. Oh, I I don't know. I only saw up to the first episode of season three. I haven't seen, but I I get what you're saying though. Yeah, anytime you have like a duality, like oh this person, then their evil twin, or this person, their doppelganger, mm-hmm. it's usually like an ego shadow type uh, way of thinking. So the shadows are dark parts of personality which are rejected by the ego, and yeah, Jung's view we've talked about individualization. What's it called? The individuation yeah. process. Yeah. His view is that the goal of the human is to find wholeness. And on the search for wholeness, your unconscious mind creates or manifests certain archetypes that there are these autonomous things under the threshold of perception that have some amount of autonomy and move things around and and change the way you perceive the world. Uh, that the integration process is encountering certain archetypes and kind of coming to peace with them until you've, you've basically, you're basically whole. Mm-hmm. Um, although you'll still maybe interact with archetypes after them, but they're like a version of it that you've made peace with. Um, yeah. Repeat your question again about the shadow. Yeah. For the shadow, how can we see it in ourselves so that, Uh, it does not get out of control or that it does not control us. Yeah. I I think Jung would almost go against repression Mm -hmm. that there's this amount of, there's this amount of repression that could occur. And then your shadow kind of has outbursts. Like you lose control. You get really angry at work. You throw a stapler at Linda. (laughs) Um, Sorry, Linda. Yeah, so so the shadow, if it repressed, it kind of creates outbursts. And then there's this... So that's like a, a conscious version of ignoring the shadow, is that you're just trying to stuff it down. Um, the unconscious form is you, you kind of ignore it unconsciously, like you don't really think it's a problem. And Jung's idea is that this leads to projections where you take the dark parts of yourself and put them on someone else. So if I'm kind of a slimy guy, I might interpret other people as being untrustworthy or lying all the time, when really for me it's a myself, truth, integrity issue that is kind of core to my being. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I accuse someone of being jealous, but I'm really someone that struggles with jealousy. Yeah. So... The conscious form is is a repression, which usually leads to outbursts. And the unconscious form is projection, which leads to seeing, he says, casting your shadow on someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, did you have something else? I could ramble for hours, please. Okay, Okay, so I'm thinking of it in a practical term. So think about something within yourself that might not be something that you want to be exhibited. This is what I do for myself anyways. Acknowledging that bad part of yourself and not denying it. 
Mm-hmm. So imagine somebody struggling with, I don't know, um, certain sexual proclivities. Some people try to push that down and repress it. I'd say don't repress that. Don't try to push that down. If it's something that you don't want to succumb to, acknowledge it in its full entirety and say, okay, this is something that I feel and I acknowledge it. But at the same time, doesn't mean I have to give in to it. Or what's another good one? I suppose drug use, if that's if that can be used. I, I'm not really, I can't relate to that. But I think it's, let's say, I'm never going to do drugs again. I, I'm not going to have the desire to do it. Well, and then a week later, you're back smoking weed or whatever substance you're on. I think a good acknowledgement of it is an old Greek saying is know thyself and understanding that part of yourself saying, well, this is a certain unhealthy desire that I might have is starting to integrate that shadow within you. At least this is how I've done it with myself. You have to acknowledge the flaws that you have within you and be willing to say, I am not as good of a person as I think I am. You have to be willing to acknowledge your faults, every single fault that you might have. But don't beat yourself up so hard that you can't function in life, if that makes sense. Acknowledge those horrible parts within yourself, but then learn how can I use this horrible part of myself to my own advantage. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, th- I think... Um, hmm. But like I said, don't go to the point of trying to nitpick every little part of yourself of I'm every horrible thing in this. Basically, what I'm trying to say is acknowledge where you're most weak at and then bring that to the consciousness of your mind and acknowledge, okay, this is what something that I need to work on and I'll do steps X, Y, and Z, even if it's not a specific order. Yeah. Maybe I'll use the example of anger. Uh, I I like that better. You can like, you can, you know, um, kind of repress your anger and then you have random outbursts. Um, and for Jung, he would say, okay, there's, that's okay. There's certainly like things that you can get righteously mad about. The goal is to maybe integrate that anger. So you Mm -hmm. respond to situations the first time that rub you the wrong way rather than kind of passively ignoring it. And then you just get so fed up with someone that you outburst. Uh, so for anger, like a, a better, um, more integrated version would be maybe learning to respond to your environment mm-hmm. in live time better rather than find yourself cornered and then lash out. Like you're not, mm-hmm. you're not putting down the anger. Um, but yeah, you're not giving into like a murderous instinct rather you're trying to find the the useful parts of the um, of the shadow, which is the personality which you rejected, and then kind of sprinkling it into to um, 
yeah, I guess just your, your personality to make it more balanced. Hmm. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, I also think having a good outlet to some people would say martial arts would be a good outlet for that. I'm sure there are certain martial artists who probably misuse that and probably don't realize it. So I guess it's the shadow being expressed in a different way rather than properly integrating it. So I suppose actually the shadow would be something more of the mind rather than, would you say something of the mind that becomes expressive? And what I mean by mind is the, the immaterial mind. Yeah. I think it's something, um, you know, to reject something out of your conscious conception of yourself and kind of kick to the curb things out of like, no, this is not who I am and put in your unconscious mind. Uh, yeah, that kind of just collate coalesces and, and um, starts to have some amount of, I guess, personality in the unconscious mind. Mm -hmm. uh, you might need to re-ask your question. I, I guess that's kind of close the, to how I frame it. Yeah. the The first question that I asked in regards to the shadow of oh, how did you just ask? Oh, um, I don't remember. For the shadow, how can we see it in ourselves so that it doesn't get out of control? Okay. Is that the one that you're referring to? No, I think you just asked one and I was trying to reframe it. And then when I was reframing it, I just forgot what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, my mind's drawing a blank as well. I'm sure somebody will rewind like 20 seconds ago. It's like, how can you forget this? I'm like, I have no clue. Yeah. So the shadow, it, it, it is kind of similar to Freud's version of the id. Mm -hmm. um, yeah Jung says the shadow is autonomous so like I said it it actually operates in your unconscious and it could you know sabotage you or mm -hmm. uh, whatnot if if it's unresolved um, this the shadow is emotional it has a primitive nature and it's just incapable of moral judgment mm -hmm. yeah I think I kind of like Jung's understanding of the shadow better than Freud's id. Freud's id seems to be too simplistic, while the shadow seems to be more um, something that you can use and integrate within yourself. What's your views on his idea of projection of the shadow? Oh, I think it goes further in the next chapter, which I don't think we'll be able to get to. But I think in regards to projection, that is a very good question. I think if we're not aware of our shadow, you see those uh, YouTube compilations of Karen outburst or guys having an outburst of something over, you got my order wrong. It's like, come on, people. But I, I think as well, it's not even just outbursts that are just like that. I think projections are things that we may not that we are not aware of that's i'm trying to find the right words to use i think it's 
um, you're projecting either an insecurity of yourself onto somebody else mm-hmm. or your sh- own personal shortcoming of on yourself to somebody else. So let's say somebody else is successful and you're not. You'll say something in regards to that might be, I don't know. You might see a negative characteristic where there is none. And it might be you projecting a subconscious negative characteristic that you have of yourself, that you're not fully aware of yourself, that you're projecting on somebody else. Yeah, I don't know if that would be jealousy. That would be a good that would be good understanding. Then huh. if you're jealous, maybe you could question their motives, like, oh, they're just greedy or they like you'll make up some sort of excuse for why their success is not legitimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, well, this, I'll, I'll go a little bit into the next chapter. I don't want, I don't want to go too far into it because we'll save that for next time. But it, it's basically the understanding of male and female and the male kind of projecting his insecurities onto the female because of his own inadequacies and the female feeling, I guess, dominated by the male in such a way to where she feels inadequate or where she feels like she has to overpower the male Mm. but i suppose i'm kind of i'm kind of going in in a cloud of of thought where i'm just trying to pull things out of thin air or not out of thin air but trying to pull from a, a realm of ideas yeah maybe to just give a little bit of a roadmap yeah yeah so i think i'll let you go with this because you're probably going to be a bit more concise than I am. Yeah. So Jung's view is that, um, like the goal of the human is to have wholeness, um, through the integration process or individuation process. Uh, so there's the, like the ego, which is kind of the part of the conscious mind that can make some amount of decisions. And, uh, you're talking earlier about accepting your shadow that uh, the ego actually needs to integrate the shadow, not the other way around mm-hmm. that the ego has to be the active agent and in the, um, in the integration that unconscious problems don't just resolve himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he even says it takes, I'm paraphrasing, but like moral fortitude to address your shadow that mm-hmm. it's, kind of a brave thing to do to um like challenge the dark parts of your nature uh so Jung's individuation process you, typically it's like you integrate your shadow and then you integrate your anima or animus and then you integrate yourself um the self with like a capital s mm-hmm. big s self yeah <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something else you were saying uh <laughs> big s <laughs> self yes. um but yeah so that's kind of the flow of these chapters he he talks about the ego and then the shadow and then the anima and animus and then the mm-hmm. um self so yeah and those three at the end they're kind of he views them as kind of the main archetypes for someone's uh, 
individuation, although he says that other archetypes could pop up too in the process. Mm -hmm. uh, the tyrannical father could pop up or nature as an archetype could pop up or the wise old man could pop up. Uh, so he kind of used those three as maybe like a start. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of where this, how this book reads a little bit. Mm -hmm. So maybe we should just do some closing thoughts on yeah. ego and then shadow. If... Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I was, think, I was kind of thinking the same thing too. So I think ego, well, since I'm, I'm thinking more of a practical and you're, you're good with understanding the abstract ideas and I'm kind of trying to bring it down to a um, more practical level here. Um, I think in regards to the ego, what is it that you yourself are aware of currently that is a good part? But then in regards to the shadow, what are some things that might be bad parts of yourself that you may be unaware of in the moment but then realize later, like, why did I do that? Think about that moment of why did I do this bad thing? And then consider, is this part, is this the part of my shadow that I need to put into myself or integrate within my conscious ego personality? So it's like getting in cycles and realizing, Hey, why do I keep on burning bridges in my relationships? Or why does this, whatever thing just keep on rearing its ugly head and happening in circles. Like that could be a shadow conflict. If... Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Or yeah. Burning bridges, anger, um, letting, I know our culture is all about sexuality, but letting certain sexual behaviors get out of control, going to whatever websites people are going to, um, let's see what else I suppose think about your own personal relationships whether it be with friends co-workers parents spouse think about how or even children think about how you're interacting with them um, if something is getting on your nerves about them wonder why is it that what they're doing is getting on my nerves and even let's say you're saying, why is what they're doing so that is so benign getting on my nerves? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I don't think it's a marital thing. Sometimes I think it's a you thing. Because there's a quote from a famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon, that says, if somebody's speaking ill about you, don't worry, you're worse than what they're saying. Yeah, I think you're right with that. Like, why am I oversensitive to this? Or why why does my ego go to defend this thing? Mm -hmm. like, why am I defending this false self? Um, why do I have to become so protective over this? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't really have anything else. Do you have any other final closing thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'll just summarize. So ego, a center of the conscious. Uh, mind although there's other things in a conscious mind such as the persona and like the roles you you play mm -hmm. and the masks you put on uh yeah ego is kind of the decision maker of the conscious mind it's the executive office 
And then the shadow is the parts of your personality rejected by the ego. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's about as far as we got in this journey of Jung. Yeah. I think next chapter will be fascinating. I don't know if we'll, I will probably try to get through the next chapter. Um, but there's just so much good stuff here. It's blowing my mind. Anyways, I, I got nothing else. Yeah, well, that's about it. Um, feel free to email us at theimprovsophypodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, concerns, qualms, queries. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Quotations. Quotation. Yes, just quote a book and send it to us. Say, you were wrong about uh, volume nine, part two of Jung. I'm going to be surprised if a Jungian psychologist actually emails us like, hey, you have some interesting things or you guys are absolute idiots. You don't know what you're talking about. Anyways, that's it for me. Yeah. Um, be well. Take care of yourselves. Bye. <laughs>